Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode number 230 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for The Ring Magazine and ringtv.com. This is TNT 230 for the week of August 1st, and we got a great show for you guys. We finally have a lot of stuff to talk about. We have a great guest on the show, too, Kelly Pavlik, the former undisputed middleweight champion of the world, going to be joining us in about 20 minutes. And then we can talk about uh, Showtime schedule that just came out. They released a schedule that starts this weekend and goes through the end of the year. The Zone is back. They had a card last weekend. And Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. No, you did not get in a DeLorean and travel in time. This is 2020. Yeah, that's kind of crazy that that fight's happening, right? So, all right, guys, as always, I ask you for the fee. I don't charge a monetary fee for this show, but what I ask you to do is spread the word about the show. Make sure that you are subscribed to The Ring Digital's YouTube channel. Make sure that you click the notification bell so you know as soon as I go live. And make sure that you are subscribed everywhere on all the audio podcast platforms. Spread the word about the show, man. Tweet about it. Post about it. Get it out there in your your boxing blogs, uh, your boxing chat rooms. All that good stuff. That is the fee that I charge and what I ask for you guys. If you get something out of the show, make sure you do that. Leave a rating, a review, and not just once. I ask that you do that every week. That is what helps the show grow. TNC has grown because of word of mouth, literally because of you guys. So that is what helps, and that is what gets the word out. And I can't thank you guys enough. And Florian Seagrease with the super chat right off the bat, right off the jump. Bam. That's like a first round knockdown. Thank you so much, Florian. I appreciate it, my man. He says, bro, I wish you all the best for your new endeavors with Ring. We'll re-listen to the show tomorrow morning in the car to work. Thank you so much, dog. I appreciate that, man. And uh, it's good to have the show over on Ring. It makes too much sense. And so far, so good. Everything's run off without a hitch. And uh, a reminder to you guys <clears throat> that I will be posting a recap of the show on ringtv.com, on Ring's website, every Monday night. So those of you who missed the live show, you can check out the recap right there. And that recap will have timestamps so you know exactly where to click. All right. And then, of course, the audio uh, podcast is out there on all the different platforms. You guys know where to find that. Just search for The Neutral Corner, Montero on Boxing. Okay, uh, let's uh, get into the news and notes before the champ, Kelly Pavlik, joins us in a few minutes here. Sad news. Another boxing death. Another uh, person who undoubtedly changed the lives of hundreds of young people during his time in boxing. Willie Savannah, a trainer out of Houston, who is one of these guys that kind of uh, flew under the radar because he worked mostly with amateurs, but he worked with a lot of guys that ended up becoming pros and really, really good pros. And there's a lot of fighters that either are from that area around Houston, I guess you'd call that what, southeast Texas, or uh, made a pit stop there during their careers and trained and met him, you know, working in that gym or around that gym in that community. So Willie Savannah is one of those guys that there's many of them in the sport that I really call like the unsung, un, unsung heroes, if I could get that word out, unsung heroes of the sport, uh, just contributors in ways that you just never really hear about. And I, I, again, you cannot put a, a figure on this, a number, but how many lives did this man change? 
How many lives did he help improve? How many lives did he save? It's, it, it, you can't put a number on that. And then just last week, Nazim Richardson, same thing. Now, Nazim had a lot more fanfare because, you know, he was tied to Bernard Hopkins and, and some other popular fighters. But uh, Willie Savano kind of flew under the radar. But I saw several boxers tweeting about him. I saw Regis Progray tweet about him and several fighters from that area. I think the Charlos tweeted about him uh, there. It, it, look, man, Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, that whole area right there. I've been telling you guys for years, those of you who followed my show, that is becoming a real hotbed of boxing action. And I'm telling you, within the next 10 years or so, that area is going to usurp New York, California, Southern California. And if you expand Los Angeles, you know, to that greater southwest area to include Las Vegas, that area of the country is still going to remain the boxing hotbed. That is the, the best gyms, the, the big fights, of course, are in Vegas but the best gym scenes in Los Angeles. But I, I think number two at some point is going to be Texas. I mean, if you look at the amateurs, the uh, USA Boxing amateur rankings, and you look at where most of these kids are from, you see California and Texas over and over and over. And Willie Savannah was a big part of making Texas boxing what it is today and what it's going to become in the future because I think it's just going to get better. So rest in peace to him. Thoughts with his family. And, um, man, the boxing community mourns another loss. Another great guy. All right, let's talk about upcoming fights. Mike Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. Now, all right, I did a video on my channel, Montero Unboxing, uh, Friday, talk about this a little bit. That, that ended up being a really fun video. We had a few callers call in, and I just got everybody in, like, on a conference call, and we just talked. And it was a lot of fun. But let me just stick to the facts here. Uh, September 12th, this fight will take place in Carson, California, just south of Los Angeles. And apparently it's going to be streamed on an app called Triller. And the reports are none of this has been confirmed because these reports, these dollar amounts get exaggerated. But it's being reported that they paid $50 million for the right to stream this event. Now, again, who knows? Maybe it's only half that. But even if it is half of that, holy shit. Guys, I understand why some of you, your, your gut reaction when you saw this news was to cringe and be concerned. I understand that. Trust me. No reason to be concerned. This is an exhibition match. It's not even, they're not even going to have a winner. They're not even going to have judges. Uh, now, there's been talk about headgear, no headgear. There will be no headgear. There will be a ref. I think it's Ray Corona is the leading candidate. But no judges. And no score will be kept. So let me tell you what's going to happen here. There's going to be an eight-round sparring session. And the last couple rounds of this are going to be a little rough to, to look at because both these guys are going to be winded. And that's no disrespect to them. I said this in my video Friday. Both Mike Tyson and Roy Jones are not just all-time greats in boxing. They're all-time greats in sport, period. Not just American sport. Sport. That's it. They're two of the greats of sport. And if they want to do this... Good for them. If you want to support this, good for them. I think that um, now the, the question is, this is a pay-per-view. How much is it going to cost? If they charge $14.95, $19.95, I think it's going to do very, very well. But if they think they could charge $80 for this shit or even $40, $50 and think that they're going to sell a lot of these, I don't know, man, especially on an app like Triller. This isn't Showtime. This isn't HBO. When these two guys, Tyson and Roy, when they were fighting, 
those were the two platforms. That's where all of the boxing in the United States, big boxing in the USA, was on Showtime and HBO. And for these two guys, it was pay-per-view. So now they're going to be fighting on this app. And I get why they're doing that. You know, and also I should note, uh, Nate Robinson, former NBA player, and Jake Paul, I don't know what the hell Jake Paul has accomplished in his life other than being a, a blonde guy on YouTube, <laughs> him and his brother. But they're really famous with young people. So uh, I get why they're on the card because they're trying to get young people to buy the card, right? So a bunch of the teeny boppers, they're going to maybe buy it to see Jake Paul fight. And NBA fans, I, I don't know if this Nate Robinson guy was any good or not, but they're going to buy it to see him fight. So, like, I understand the marketing behind it. And let's give Tyson credit. The marketing push was terrific. He got a lot of people talking. And then uh, when this – he, he was smoking a blunt while signing his contract. That gets people talking. Mike Tyson could do anything. Mike Tyson could take a shit and tweet about it, and it will break the internet. Anything he does breaks the internet because he's one of those guys that just uh, transcends sports. He's one of the most famous people in the world. Seriously, people in every corner of the earth know who Mike Tyson is. So this has the potential to do something. Some people are outraged by it and they think it's horrible for boxing. Some people have a massive hard on and they're jerking off to it. They think it's great for boxing. Me personally, I don't really give a shit either way. Will I watch it? I guess if I got nothing going on. Yeah, sure. I'll check it out. But I don't think this is going to destroy boxing. I don't think this is going to save boxing. I kind of look at this the way I looked at Mayweather McGregor, except this won't make as much money, but uh, it's just kind of one of those events. Or, or remember last year we had Logan Paul versus KSI, and some people hated that. Some people loved it. And I kind of looked at it like, eh, it's just another one-off freak show. These things are as old as boxing itself, guys. So this isn't some something you should be outraged about. Neither guy is going to get hurt. There's going to be no knockout. I talked about this Friday. The only hard punches will be body shots. Both of these dudes know how to carry somebody. They're going to telegraph their big punches. Roy's going to cock that right shoulder back before he shoots it so Mike can catch it, and vice versa. When Mike shoots a hook, he's going to dip that shoulder down and let Roy know it's coming. They're going to telegraph everything. They're going to shoot everything wide, make it look like they're throwing hard shots when they're really not. But to the layperson, to the casual, they're going to buy into this shit. And I guess Triller is going to do this uh, multi-episode documentary, quote-unquote, preview show to hype this thing up and you know maybe it'll work because Tyson will say something crazy Roy will say something crazy and they'll hype this thing up what I find most interesting of everything is that it's on September 12th which is around Mexican Independence Day weekend which again I go back to the two biggest dates in boxing at least in North America are around Cinco de Mayo and Mexican Independence Day and I've talked about on numerous platforms, the Mexican-American fan contingent is the most powerful, the, the biggest. They spend the most money. And, you know, some people find that to be a controversial comment because when I talk about how great the Mexican-American fans are to the sport, everybody else thinks that I'm saying they suck. And that's not what I'm doing. I'm just saying it, it's pretty obvious. Floyd Mayweather, not Mexican, he always fought on the two Mexican holidays. Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr., not Mexican, fighting around Mexican Independence Day. So again, I reiterate that Mexican-American fan base carries the sport in the United States. Now, that doesn't mean 
that there aren't other amazing fan bases of many other walks of life. I'm not saying that, but watch. One of you motherfuckers on Twitter will say something because you got to do it. Okay, but September 12th, that should be Canelo's date, right? We should be talking about Canelo Alvarez and Gennady Golovkin fighting a third time or Canelo Alvarez fighting Callum Smith. We should be talking about that September 12th. But if you're Canelo Alvarez and you're Golden Boy, and most importantly, if you're DAZN, do you want to go up against Mike Tyson that weekend? I don't know. Let, I mean, maybe they'll wait to see how much Mike Tyson's charging. Now, if Mike Tyson, if they're charging $80 and DAZN has Canelo for $20, well, maybe they would. But if Mike Tyson's charging 20 bucks for his pay-per-view, which I think would be the smart play here, make it the same price or cheaper than a one-month subscription to the zone, then uh, what's Canelo going to do? So basically, Canelo, for, for pulling the diva tactics and everything else, this is the second year in a row he's losing out on that huge date, Mexican Independence Day. Now, say what you will about Floyd Mayweather and all the politics and all the games he played and all of that. You know, you knew... When that dude was fighting, you maybe didn't like who he fought, but if you were a diehard Floyd Mayweather fan, you knew how much it was going to cost. It was going to cost you $80, and you knew once in May, once in September, regardless of any damn thing, that's when he was fighting. It was going to be in Las Vegas. It's going to cost you about 80 bucks, and those were the two dates. Canelo, two years in a row, has screwed himself out of the Mexican Independence Day weekend. It's, in my opinion, look, people are, I understand that Billy Joe Saunders turned down the fight and a bunch of other people have turned down the fight because they say they're not getting paid enough. And that is on them. I get that. But if you're DAZN and you're shelling out $40 million to Golden Boy for every fight Canelo does, and Canelo's supposed to get 35 of that, and the rest of the show gets $5 million, and you're having a global pandemic, DAZN, until last weekend, hadn't put a show on for months, bleeding money. You're Canelo Alvarez. You're the richest fighter in the sport. Do you not think, you know what, shit? Instead of 35 mil, let me take 20 mil. Let's cut this shit in half. And, and then let's, let's get this other guy six, seven million dollars to make this fight and lock in this date because Mexican, because I care about my Mexican fans. I'm Canelo Alvarez. I care about my Mexican and Mexican American fans. And I want to celebrate around this, you know, important holiday. So let's lock in this date, September 12th. Now he don't give a damn. He wants that 35 million. In fact, you guys saw his uh, lawyer, Canelo's lawyer. Uh, you saw the, I can't remember what platform it was on, but there was an interview where he was talking about the zone. You know, they're kind of beefing right now. And, he wants that $35 million. Guys, sometimes, you know, it's easy to beat up on promoters. It's easy to beat up on the networks and the platforms and everything else. But sometimes you got to look at the fighters. I mean, sometimes it is on the fighters. And I think this whole delay with Canelo two, two years in a row not fighting around Mexican Independence Day is the most important Mexican fighter right now, might be the most important Mexican athlete right now, certainly in that discussion. Not fighting around Mexican Independence Day weekend two years in a row. That's a big deal, man. That's a real big deal. Now, look, maybe he can get the fight with Callum Smith done and you'll have dueling cards on September 12th. But do you think they want to go up against Mike Tyson, even if it's an exhibition? I don't think so.
I don't think he's fighting on September 12th, man. And that's a damn shame. That really is a damn shame. My man Scotty Buck on the chat from Detroit, my hometown. He says, uh, too bad they can't figure out a way to put the card together with Canelo and Tyson. That'd be awesome. If you had somehow on Canelo's card, you had Mike Tyson and Roy Jones fighting like as a co-main or something like that, shit, that would be huge, dude. But, you know, that would make too much sense, Scotty, and this is boxing. So what are you going to do? All right, uh, let's talk real quick here about Showtime's schedule. I think it's great to see Showtime Boxing back. We actually have a card, a decent little doubleheader from uh, Connecticut that they're going to have this weekend that I'll preview later in the show. But so they just came out, Steven Espinoza, with their uh, August through December schedule. And it's pretty loaded, man. There's some good stuff on on this schedule. So uh, the two pay-per-views obviously are the standout cards. Let's talk about the Charlo uh, doubleheader. So you got uh, Jermall. That's 160 pounds, 30 and 0, going up against Sergey Derevyanchenko. And you got your Mel at 154, 33 and 1, going up against Jason Rosario. This is September 26th. And uh, location hasn't been set, but it's, it's likely that all these Showtime cards will be there at the Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. So I don't know what to think about Sergey Derevyanchenko, his fight with Jamal Charlo, on the surface, okay? This looks like a 50-50 fight, and I like it. Don't get me wrong. I like the matchup. I don't think it's pay-per-view worthy, but in the current climate that we're in, where you can't have fans, I get why they're doing this, okay? You can't put this on in Barclays and sell 10,000 tickets or put it on in Vegas or whatever. You have to put it on wherever you can in a controlled bubble, quote-unquote, and you have to rely on the pay-per-view revenue to pay the fighters. That's how you get them to get in the ring with each other. So I understand the economics of it. But this is not a pay-per-view-worthy fight. It's a damn good Showtime Championship boxing-level fight. Not a pay-per-view fight, but this is 2020. Derevyanchenko, two tough fights against Daniel Jacobs, Gennady Golovkin. But we talked about this on my uh, video Friday on my channel. Uh, Mark from Unrivaled Boxing Talk, he brought up a great point. There was also that Jack Colke fight. That was a distance fight. That was a, a grueling fight. So this dude's had three tough distance fights recently, grueling fights, and he really took a, t- a pounding against Gennady Golovkin, dropped against Jacobs, dropped against uh, Triple G, and he hasn't fought. That Triple G fight was last October. So by the time he fights Jamal Charlo, that's one year off, just about. It's 51 weeks out of the ring now that might benefit him he might heal up it might not i i like the style matchup because uh likes to come in get in your chest pressure i like that can he be successful doing that with all the ring rust against charlo i don't know uh jermel fighting jason rosario so here's the thing like again on, on the surface that looks like a great matchup it really does and i like it and it's a unification the winner of that fight will be the ring magazine champion at junior middleweight we're sanctioning that for our uh, junior middleweight championship belt so i like the fight okay however there's some x factors with rosario who's his best opponent for jermel his best he fought trout he fought harrison those those were good uh, quality match now he lost one to harrison obviously but he has good experience certainly more than rosario Rosario had that big win over J-Rock in January. That was this year, TKO5. But the rest of his resume, he just hasn't fought anybody else 
on that level. So was that just the perfect night where he put it all together and he caught J-Rock on an off night? Or was that him stepping up to the level of, of opposition he was facing and showing his true colors, who he really is? We will find out in this fight against Jamel Charlo. So uh, I like I like this matchup. Uh, one thing, too, I should mention, Rosario was TKO'd in 2017. So he could be TKO'd again. He's been stopped before. He could be stopped again. I like both those matchups. And overall, I think that's a good card. It's one of the best cards that PBC has put together. They've put together some good pay-per-views with some nice undercards. All things considered, that's a nice card. And then also the other big one that stands out, Gervonta Tank Davis versus Leo Santa Cruz, October 24th. Now, supposedly this fight is going to be at 130 pounds. I question that. I question that shit. Tank uh, has a, a piece of the WBA belt at 135. Leo has a piece of the WBA belt at 130. This is supposed to be at 130, and both their belts are going to be on the line. It makes no damn sense, but this is the WBA. They have three titleists in each of these divisions. So what happens if Davis can't make 130, and he comes in at 133, and he says, hey, Leo, here's an extra few hundred thousand dollars because I I ain't even going to try to make weight. I got down to 133. Here, take some extra money. Then what happens? Are both belts on the line still? Or are they both only on the, on the line for Leo? Like, what happens with that? I don't know. I know one thing. That's going to be a very eagerly anticipated weigh-in. If, I, if fans don't watch weigh-ins like they used to, they become mundane a lot of times. But this one, people are going to be paying attention to that. That, that live stream that they do, PBC or Showtime, uh, they'll do a live stream of that weigh-in. And it's, it's probably going to do numbers because people are going to be curious. But, look, this matchup on paper – on paper, it looks super-duper competitive because Javante Davis hasn't fought anybody, at least not in their physical prime. He has one good win over Pedraza, and that wasn't Pedraza at his best weight. Uh, still, good win, good win. But Leo has been in with the better fighters, even though Leo's resume is not very good itself. But him beating Carl Frampton, that annihilates anything that Javante Davis has done, right? So on the surface... I get why people think this is going to be competitive. Plus, Tank might be weight-drained and everything else. Now, I've talked about this, and I'm, I'm going to keep repeating it. My opinion might change depending on you know, when we get closer to the fight and we see uh, I hear things from camp. My opinion might change. But the way I look at this fight is very similar to the way I looked at Errol Spence, Mikey Garcia, okay? In retrospect, looking at that fight, that was a brand-building exercise for Team Errol Spence and the, the brass at PBC who understand that they had something, you know, in regards to Spence in the future. They had some big fight possibilities with him. They have Pacquiao they can put him in there against. And that's who they really want to promote, right? It's one of the fighters they're really trying to promote. They want to make him a Fox pay-per-view fighter twice a year from here on out. And... Mikey Garcia's brand and his name recognition with diehard fight fans, particularly who did I talk about before, the Mexican-American fight fans, um, that helped build Errol Spence's name. And that's the way I see this fight. I think that Leo Santa Cruz, the peak of his career has already happened. It was right around the Frampton fights. And I just see them using Santa Cruz's name to help build up Javante Tank Davis. But if Leo wins... 
There's no loss there because it's all, you know, PBC in-house, and they'll have options. They could even do a rematch. But I just see a 12-round decision fight, Tank wins, it moves on, and from here on out, he's going to be a Showtime pay-per-view fighter. I hate to say it, but that's the way this works, guys. That's the boxing business. Let me see if uh, our guest is on. I think he is. All right, everybody, let's talk to the former undisputed middleweight champion of the world, Mr. Kelly Pavlik in the house. What's going on, Kelly? Uh, no, just listening to your good uh, your breakdown of that fight. Oh, you're talking about uh, Tank and Liam? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm just thinking, bro, because uh, I, I love the fight, but, you know, I was just breaking it down, comparing it to uh, Mikey's fight with Errol, and, and you were there for that. We were talking that week before that fight. Do you see parallels between those two fights the way I do, or, or am I crazy? Sorry, you, you broke up a little bit. Oh, okay. Are you in the car, Kelly? <laughs> I think I hear a car driving. <laughs> Are you in the car? Yeah. Hold on. Oh, okay. It's all good. Um, I was just saying. Okay, you there? Yeah, I'm here, man. Okay, I'm sorry about that. It's all good, brother. Um, now, yeah, what I was so, saying is, no, what, was what I was saying is, um, you know, I saw you there when Mikey fought Errol, and we talked that week. Uh, we did an interview. I remember that. And I'm seeing parallels between that fight and the Tank Davis-Leo Santa Cruz fight. Am I crazy, or are those fights similar in a lot of ways? I don't know on that one. I just talked about that. It's a tough call because if Tank comes in, you know, um, looking like he did his last fight and, right. you know, against Gamboa or comes in overweight, not shape. Uh, Leo's tall, he's big, he's rangy, and he throws a lot of punches around. You know, that's one of the fights where if that gets into the fifth, sixth, seventh round, it could be a fight that Leo, it could be in Leo's favor um, in that fight. You know, uh, he, like I said, he's just tall and rangy. Uh, overall, skill-wise, yeah, Javante, you know, he's, he's right there. Um, it would be interesting. Um, I would kind of wait till the fight gets a little closer before I would make my final decision, but I think it could be a lot better fight than people would think. I hope you're right, man. I, I, I do think the X factor is the weight. If Tank... I, I, dude, you saw him when he was in Atlanta last year. I mean, I, I live in Atlanta now, and I, I was at that fight, and he uh, he struggled to make 135, which was crazy because it was his first fight at 135. Now, I, I think he wasn't yeah. taking Gamboa very seriously. I think he's going to take Leo Santa Cruz seriously. But do you think he can make 130 legitimately? Or is he going to try to come in at 132, 133 and pay Leo some, some cash on the side? If I had a bet on it, I would say you probably come in, pay pay Leo some on the yeah. side, and come in a little over. Um, you know, again, and that that goes to show you. I mean, is it training? Is that a sign that you know he wasn't training as hard as he's supposed to be? Um, and and again, on the fight itself alone, you know, it's just a little different when you got a guy who's who's throwing ninety some some punches to a hundred punches at you around. You know, you got to try to keep up um, for the judges. And uh, it could take a toll come middle later rounds unless Tank goes into a style where he's he's uh, popping Leo and Leo stops throwing a lot of punches around and tries to be more defensive. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It is, but yeah, on the weight thing, you know, that, that's a big factor. 
does does uh, Tank come in heavy again and say, you know what, take the find me. I'm going to keep my strength and everything else for this fight. We don't know. Yeah, uh, interesting. To see it. I'm like you, man. If I was betting, that's what I would bet on. And I think that Tank's yeah. got to slow uh, Leo's output down. He's got to get him down to 50, 60 punches a round. If he could do that, I, I just think he wins a comfortable decision. But, yeah, obviously Leo could outwork him, particularly in the no, later I, rounds. Yeah, I had, you know, my uh, co-host with the, on my podcast, you know, he, he was taking Leo um, with the Gary Russell a month back when this was being uh, talked about maybe. And I said, Gary Russell is the type of guy that could be issues now for Leo because Gary Russell showed me, I think, against Jojo Diaz that he could take a pounding, you know, to the body yeah. and he could get in dogfights and still have that condition. Um, you know, I, I was able to witness it there. That's why I, I thought Gary stood a good chance against a guy like Leo, especially with his dance. Tank, so far in his career, I haven't seen that gut check. You know, I haven't seen what Tank's able to do at a high pace for, you know, seven, eight rounds, let alone nine, 10, 11, 12. So. Right. That's a great point, man. And, you, you know, you bring up your show. I wanted to make sure I get a plug for it, uh, The Punchline with Kelly Pavlik and James Dominguez. Man, I, I noticed something recently, and if I, if we can't talk about this, then tell me to shut up and we'll move on. But I noticed Eddie Hearn and Matchroom had, they did some show recently with the same name, the punchline. Now, I know that you trademarked that name, Kelly. So have you talked to those guys and is everything cool? Are they going to stop using that name or do you not care? Um, I didn't really, we kind of went out and a couple of guys that contribute to the show, you know, they put they prematurely put some stuff out about it. Um, I kind of wanted to wait, you know, uh, just to see what was going on. We, uh, the copyright, that, that gets into a whole new field due to the fact that that, that those were formed over in, uh, I believe, the UK, England, or wherever it may have been. So I don't know how with the international, how that all works either. Okay. Um, my take on it is, you know, I, I guess from what I heard that they didn't know, but it's just funny that when we um, – did our podcast you know we went went through like who has the name of punchline the punchline and everything else and we looked into that you know and i would think somebody like eddie hearn with his uh reputation his you know name celebrity status in the boxing world um you know that he would have looked into that i guess the format is very close to what we do to answer people's questions like we do right so um it, you know, i'm not going to say that he went and copied it um it, it points to it that he was and it's more of a compliment um if anything but uh no we'll look further into it you know I, I wanted to sit down before i said anything on social media i wanted to sit down and go over that with the attorneys and everything you know how that would work right especially due to the fact that you know we, we've been out there you know we've been at fights with the punchline and we've had our show now for three years so that's what I was going to ask. You, you, you've had that show since 2017, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And again, you know, the show's fun. Um, we have a blast with it, like covering the fights. It's not something I'm losing sleep over again. You know, I look at it more as a compliment. Obviously, they've seen the show. They've seen the work. Um, because you just don't take the name and the same format. Um, yeah, it looks suspicious, so. man. Like, I... This, by the way, everyone listening, this is not Kelly saying this. This is Michael Montero hey, saying this. I don't want to burn no bridges. Yeah, 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 yeah. By no means. <laughs> yeah, it just, I'll it's say it. it. It looks suspicious. It, it, yeah, okay, I'll just leave it yeah. at that. Um, okay, I wanted to ask you, 
And I know, you know, full disclosure, you were represented by top rank uh, for your whole career, your whole pro career, right? But um, what did you yeah. think, you know, honest opinion about the, their bubble series? The, the first wave of it just ended. I think they're going to bring it back in late August. But, you know, it seems like boxing fans are never satisfied. I understand that the matchmaking wasn't the best. I understand that the fights didn't feature a lot of stars. Actually, n- no stars at all, really. But given what we're dealing with, you know, in this current climate, I'm just curious what kind of grade you'd give them. Did you check out any of those fights? What did you think about it? Yeah, I caught some, you know, what I could. Um, yeah, it's a tough spot right now, uh, you know, just with everything going on for all sports. So I think they're doing what they what they can. Uh, top rank to me has always been a good uh, promotional company. And what I like with top rank is they're conservative with their fighters. Uh, you know, they're not in a hurry. They, I think they're still in the um, process of, you know, making world champions and, and bringing them up quick and uh, where you get to really see the top guys. Uh, you know, it's just hard right now to speak on anything as far as from my opinion on the promotionals in the sport because it's crazy. I mean, uh, these fights, how they're being made. You know, I don't think I don't I, I don't know the money that TV's given for fights um, without an audience. Also, so you know, as long as they're putting fights out there, I think that's a good thing right now with everything that's you know at stake. So it's crazy though. It is crazy, man. I saw where uh, Major League Baseball. I don't know the exact number, but I want to say they've had like 70 or 80 COVID positives in the past couple of weeks. So, like, their shit's blowing up already. And for top rank, and then the UFC, too, they, when they came back, they only had a handful of positives. So I think they did a really good job with testing, and there's so much cost associated with that. And you're dealing with the commission, and the commission makes the rules. So I, I, all in all, I mean, yeah, the matchmaking wasn't great. But I'm just glad they're keeping guys busy. I think that'll pay off. Yeah, I think, you know, they're doing what they can do. You know, we got to take into consideration there's a lot of guys that were sitting around not knowing what was happening because a lot of gyms were shut down for that reason. Um, You know, so there are a lot of guys last minute or short notice that may have had to take fights that could have jeopardized, you know, their career. Um, It was just, you know, it was a hard situation overall. We you may have some guys that have been in our training for, you know, two months and we're ready to go. But uh, I just don't think for a while there anybody knew what was happening. So I think it's hard to match make at a, at a time like that. Um, I think it really is. Now it looks like it's picking up and it's getting a little better. I've seen showtimes, you know, future fights. And it looks like there's a lot of good matchups. Yeah. I definitely want to ask you about a couple of those. But, you know, since we kind of hinted on the promotional side of it, I want to go back to your career for a minute. You know, you you were the legitimate, you know, the real middleweight champion of the world from like 2010 to, uh, I'm sorry, 2007 to 2010. But uh, Arthur Abraham and Sebastian Sylvester had the IBF belt. Felix Sturm had the WBA belt. So those other two belts were tied up with the German promoters. I'm just curious, did you guys ever try to make fights with them? And how close did, did you get? W- was there any talk about trying to unify with those guys or was it impossible? Yeah, there, there was a lot. You know, I'm not quite sure how it all turned out. I know that I wanted to fight with um, Paul Williams, and that fight was in negotiation two mm. times. And, you know, um, promotional companies just didn't come to an agreement on that one. And I believe the second time with Paul Williams, um, 
to fall through. There was no other big fight out there. And I was just coming off the Gary Lockett fight, which, you know, I went through a lot of tough fights on the way up coming in. And I gave Jermaine Taylor the rematch that I didn't have to do. Um, and I had a chance where I could have took another fight in between that rematch clause. Um, so, but I, I, I was kind of getting a little bit of crap for taking a fight like Gary Lockett after Miranda and Taylor twice. So, you know, we ended up jumping up uh, two weight classes to fight Bernard Hopkins because that was the big fight out there. And then right after that, you know, we came back down. We defended against um, against uh, Marco Antonio Rubio and in Youngstown, who was, a you know, a tough guy, a dangerous fighter. He went on to win a world title, you know, a couple years later. Um, but Paul Williams was one of the big ones. But even still in the mix of that, you know, there was obviously – two other belts out there because Jermaine, you know, vacated them or they got stripped one or two. I can't remember. And yeah, so I wanted the belts, you know, I was the type of guy. Um, I wanted all, all the belts in the trophy case, you know, and Abraham, I would have loved that fight with Abraham. It was tailor made, um, you know, for me with my style. Yeah. Uh, I feel storm at the time, I believe had the IBM. Um, yeah, I know between the two of know, them, they had, was, yeah, they had the other two belts. I can't remember which one, who had which yeah. one, but yeah. So yeah, I didn't want to fight him, and, and there was talks. And from what I got from my agent Cameron Duncan at the time, because here and there I would deal with uh, Top Rank, but Cameron was my guy that kind of was in the middle, right. you know, who would negotiate with Top Rank and and my camp. And uh, you know, they they wanted to fight over in Germany. And, you know, here I was the lineal middleweight champion, you know, the champ. And these guys, you know, kind of were given the belt when Taylor vacated them. And there was no reason for me to go over to Germany. Right? And I think we all noticed um, what you have to do being from the States to go over to Germany and win a fight. It's almost impossible. So those, that's why those fights never really came to be because we weren't going to go over to Germany and fight. Okay. Yeah. You, you know, you mentioned the Taylor fights. I remember you had to win not one but two eliminators to get that fight. Was it Zertucci and yeah. Miranda, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'll never forget that because after the Zartucci fight, Zartucci was a tough guy. And I'll be, you know, real. He, he was a, a slick, uh, dangerous type fighter. Um, you know, I went in there, though, and I beat him, and that, that was supposed to be the WBC eliminator. Right. And then uh, after that fight, I'm sitting there waiting for the phone call that I'm getting ready to fight Taylor, and they hit me with, you got to go fight Edison Miranda, who at that time was a monster. You know what I mean? He was right. uh, one of the most fierce fighters in, in boxing. And uh, that kind of sucked that I had to go fight him. I never heard so of that before, man. That yeah, like two yeah. two eliminators. I just, you know, I felt like you never got the universal respect that a middleweight champion, because as you mentioned, you were the lineal, legitimate champion. You beat the man who beat the man. And I felt that mm -hmm. that that mainstream recognition and respect uh, never you never quite got that. What do you think is is the reason for that? I mean, do you think it's one thing? Do you think it's a combination of things? It, I think it was a combination. Um, I really do. You know, a lot of fights again. You know, the big ones would have been like Abraham. Um, you know, there there was talk of me versus Joe Calzaghe, uh, but mm -hmm. Calzaghe was that super middleweight, and at that time, being smart. There was no need for me to jump to super middleweight when I was the middleweight king. You know what I mean? Um, you know, yeah, it would have been cool to go up and win another belt in another weight class. But at that time, 
you know, that, that was my money zone. That was my weight class. I was, I was the king of that weight class and there were still fights to be made. And I just think through negotiations, um, I don't think Abraham wanted to take the fight with me here in the States. And I'm not wrong. You know, people say, well, world champ would have went and fought. No, you know, I was the world champ and I worked my ass off for that. You know, uh, guys like Abraham and Stern should have came over here to fight me. Um, I won the titles by beating the man who beat the man, which gets into another great um, question that I don't fully know. You know, Taylor was the undisputed middleweight champion. And how I look at it, how I always thought and was taught, undisputed middleweight champion, the only reason, the only way that you really lose that title is if you lose a fight, you know, if you lose the championship. Taylor never lost to lose the undisputed middleweight champion. He vacated the belts, you know, so... Should I have, down the line, maybe, you know, been undisputed middleweight champ? Um, I don't know. But the, the main, the whole thing about this was I was the main champ at the time. I held, I beat the man. And uh, so I think with them fights not coming to be, and then, you know, obviously the Paul Williams fight coming up, uh, people kind of wanted to see that fight. I think that would have been a very interesting fight. People would have action-packed. He threw, you know, 100 punches around. I threw right. high to mid-90s. Um, it would have been an action-packed fight. That would have been a man. That would have been a good out, fight. Yeah, well, it was falling out, and then you know it, it made a difference. Let me uh, let me just throw a word out here: race. <laughs> if you don't want to go there, we won't go there, okay? Because uh, it's 2020, and you can't talk about anything like that anymore, I guess. But did did that play a factor? Because look, there there are some fans out there that still believe in this thing called the Great White Hope, the Great White Hype, all this, that, the other. And, you know, it, according to them, you should have been the most famous athlete in America once you beat Jermaine Taylor. And you should have been getting, you know, billion-dollar purses. But here you are, the legitimate, lineal, middleweight champion of the world, and you still weren't getting that mainstream credit across the board. Uh, do you think that played a factor? Or do you think it, it didn't play a factor at all? I, I truly don't know. I, I would hate to say that it did and then, you know, I could be I could be wrong. That's something where nobody, even you know, 13 years ago, nobody really came out and said that. Um, actually, but I will tell you one. I think Cameron Duncan um, can vouch for this one. When it took us seven years to get the title shot, and I was coming up. Now, mind you, I was signed by one of the biggest promotional companies in the sport, and I was tearing through people. I mean, I was at like 12 and 0, 12 knockouts, 14 and 0, 14 knockouts, and I wasn't getting on, you know big time TV or big networks. I was fighting on Univision, Telemundo, sometimes here and there in ESPN fight. And, uh, you know, whenever I forget, I forget who it was at the time with HBO at the head, you know, uh, it was asked, the question was asked, why, why am I not on? And, uh, what did the guy say the head from HBO? I want to say it was like Greenberg or something like that. He goes, cause we don't, we don't invest in white fighters from the Midwest. You know? <laughs> I remember and, that uh, interview. I, I, yeah, yeah, that was said. That was that was true. Um, that's pretty telling. And I think, though, yeah, I think after beating guys, you know, beat, going in there, not only beating guys like Zartucci and Miranda, but beating them the way that I did, um, you know, they had no choice at that point to, you know, put me on HBO. But, yeah, it was a long road. You know, it took seven years. A lot of people with my career, like, it was a, a short career, but it wasn't. Um, I think a lot of people think that my career started in 2007, and it didn't. I turned pro in 2000, you know, so I was already seven years in when I fought for the title. 
Yeah, a lot of people do forget that. You had a, what, I think 12-year, 12, 13-year 12, pro career yeah, total, right? Yeah, 12-year. Yeah, so I just want, you know what, you, you hit on that, though. It took you seven years to get to HBO, and you think of an American middleweight that went pretty far in the amateur system. I think you lost to Jermaine Taylor in the Olympic qualifiers. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, yes. but, but you went pretty far in that process. And at, at, yeah, and I, and I was young. I was a baby. Right. He was older, more mature, more experienced at that point. And I just, it's hard to believe that it took you seven years. And then you see other guys like Shakur Stevenson gets, and it's a different world now. I think there's, you know, the, the promoters are trying to get talent as soon as they can now on TV. But a lot of these yeah. guys coming out of the Olympics now, they're on TV immediately. You know what I mean? Yeah. And top rank still takes their, uh, you know, some guys come up, you know, TFEMO uh, is moving pretty quick. But for the most part, top rank out of most of the other promoters still takes their time, though, with their guys. And I, and I think it's actually a good strategy because not everybody's Lomachenko. You know what I mean? You right. can't just go in and fight for a world title, your second pro fight, or, you know, your seventh pro fight. You know, it's a process of getting these guys ready for the fights. I completely agree. I don't know if you saw Virgil Ortiz fight this Saturday, but it, it was amazing to me to see criticism. You know, people on Twitter saying, oh, he's fighting Sammy Vargas. Number one, Sammy Vargas is a good quality professional prize fighter with a lot of experience. But number two, Ortiz is only 22 years old. And people want him to fight for you know title belts already. I, I think it, there's nothing wrong with developing a prospect. Um, did you yeah, see Virg, yeah. Virgil Ortiz Listen, fight? I'm curious what you think about him. Yeah, you know, and I'm not being biased. I'm friends with uh, his father and him. Um, I'm not being biased at all when I say this, but uh, Virgil Ortiz is, is as real as it gets. I mean, he yeah. put a showing on. You know, if you went there and it was a, a slot fest and a struggle, then you know maybe he's not ready yet. Um, he's going, he's destroying guys, and he's he's doing it through good competition, and he's still inexperienced. I mean, he's only sixteen and zero. Um, the way he's going in there and dismantling these guys, and he, he keeps his composure. Um, you know, he, he stays behind his punches, his form, everything is is great on him. He's fast, so not only does he hit hard, but he but he's got great hand speed, great skills. The kid's a real deal, and I mean, my God, let's let's be honest though. Nobody wants to give Canelo credit. Canelo has jumped up and fought a guy two weight classes higher in Kovalev, who's a dangerous guy. And Canelo don't struggle with him. He goes in and beats the guy up for and knocks him out. Um, he fights one guy a super middleweight, Fielding or whatever his name was, and he gets beat up for that. It's like they can't win. You know, you had guys in the past. Um, I'm talking about even in the early 80s and late 70s, some of the top champions that everybody respects. That fought guys that were two and three after winning a world title. Can you imagine if Canelo yeah. or, or uh, Crawford or some of these guys wouldn't have fought a guy zero and two after winning a world title? That what they would get? Like, give them a break. You know, I understand. I think the big part with the guys today is social media, and it's just too much of a um, too too much uh, of an area of ground to stand on for these um, fans and everybody to feel relevant. I guess the fanagers knock these new guys. Yeah, they, they, have platform to, they have a platform to talk about these new fighters, and they don't give them the credit. And these guys are, are good in their fighting, uh, worthy opponents. You know, uh, you know Virgil Ortiz, in, in my opinion, that he's the real deal. Him, Shakur Stevenson, um, Haney, yeah. these guys are legit, and they're, they're great fighters. Give them their respect. 
Yeah, I think the future's bright. You, I mean, those three guys you mentioned, Ryan Garcia, as much of a diva as he is, there's a future there. Uh, Boots Ennis, Jerron Boots Ennis, I, I think he's the goods. There's some really good young fighters in this sport, so we're we're in a healthy place. Daniel Dubois at heavyweight, I'm really high on him. I just think that oh, yeah. I hope they, they all fight. You know, They eventually fight the fights they need to. Um, for Dubois, he's fighting Joe Joyce, you know, later, maybe next year now, or maybe later this year. Uh, but I, I like that matchup. I just, you know, all the young guys like in and around lightweight, they all got to fight each other, man. Tiafima Lopez, Ryan Garcia, Devin Haney, uh, Virgil Ortiz is bigger than them, but all these guys got to fight each other, man. I just hope eventually we get those fights. But we'll find out. I, I think I don't think right now. I think it's a little too early for these. Right. Let's let's build them up. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think soon, sooner than later. Um, yeah, I do agree with that. Some of these fights are going to start are going to have to start forming. Um, I really hope. I, I don't know. I've seen something that the Tiafimo and Loma fight is signed, or they're going to fight. I think that's pretty big. I think Tiafimo earned his uh, spot now for that fight. Um, you know, but it's uh it's interesting. I mean, there's a lot of fights from 135 up, even up to super middleweight. Look at that weight. You have, you have Bivol that came down now, who's a monster. That yeah. came down from 175. Um, You know, just so many guys at that weight class that Canelo's still in the mix of that. You know, he could bounce around from middleweight to light heavyweight. Yeah, Canelo might be the best super middleweight on the planet right now. He might be. You know what I'm saying? I, I wouldn't. Me personally, I think. I want to see him go down the middleweight. I, I think that beating okay. Kovalev was a huge feat. Um, but I, I honestly, I, Canelo's a tremendous fighter. But I, I don't think, you know, when you get in with guys like Benavidez and Bevel, that's a little dangerous there. Yeah, I'm with you. Especially Bevel coming from 75, where he was a decent puncher at 75. But at 68, he'll be a devastating puncher. Yeah. Man. Um, he could box and, and, and sound, sound fighter. And you mentioned 160. That brings me to Charlo. Jamal Charlo, I wanted to ask you about these two matchups. Jamal Charlo against Sergei Drevyanchenko, and then Jermel Charlo against Jason Rosario. How do you see those two fights? These are tough fights for um, Charlo's. Um, Rosario can fight. Um, you know, it's going to be a test. Uh, we don't really get to see much of, of the Charlos. Really, we don't. Um, and, and then as far as the uh, Drevyanchenko fight, Jonathan Chaco is a no joke. I mean, he is like one of the most fighters that are slept on the most. Um, he could fight, you know, and that's going to be interesting. That's a fight there. That's a pick em fight. I know a lot of people are going to go with Charlo. I don't know on that one. That's too tough to pick. Yeah, I keep going back and forth on both of those. But, you know, the fight, I got to ask, there's some people in the chat asking about this. This is the last fight I'll ask you about, and then we'll let you go. But uh, Mike Jones, or I'm sorry, Mike Jones, <laughs> Mike Tyson and Roy Jones, uh, you know, some people hate it. Some people love it. For me, I'm like, yeah, this ain't going to kill box and this ain't going to save it. How, how do you see that fight, man? Yeah, me and a couple of my one buddy were talking about that. We're like, man, we're not ordering that fight. I'm not watching <laughs> that. And then I was like, yeah, but once, like two days out from the fight, I would be like, hey, James, you want to come over and have some pizza and watch the fight? Um, yep. It's one of those type things. Like, yep, exactly. You got two mega stars. Yeah, you got two mega stars going. I don't know on it. I mean, I hear. I don't know what's all behind it. You know, I hear one minute that there's headgear and they're going to go easy. Then I hear that there's no headgear 
They're going to have regular size um, white gloves, but they're not going full out. So if it was to happen and it was to be a full go, no fight, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think if Roy Jones gets past three or four rounds with Tyson, um, I think he has a legitimate chance of winning. But Roy Jones don't have the wheels that he used to have. Tyson, he looked good on hitting pads, but we all know that been in the sport. I could go take my big fat ass now at 250 <laughs> pounds doing powerlifting, and I could still look like a, a all-time great on the hand pads. Right, right. You know, because I've been doing that my entire life, and Tyson has. You know, but we got to see what what he could do in the ring with you know, a real fight. Uh, it, it's just a hard fight to pick. You know, Tyson, the last thing to go on anybody is their power. So Tyson still has that chance to catch Roy Jones. But if Roy Jones could outbox him, I don't know how much of that um, weed farm Mike Tyson's been enjoying. <laughs> but, you know. A lot. <laughs> it all comes down to I think it's going to be high walking to the fight. ring, man. He's going to be smoking a blunt yeah, walking right? to the I ring. Mean, yeah, I can tell you. Smoking weed, that, that gets in your lungs. Yeah, Kelly, I, I, what I've heard from the commission, it's 12-ounce gloves, no headgear, but there's no judges or scoring and no winner. They're not going to have an official winner to the fight. There will be a ref. But, I mean, to me, man, this just looks like an exhibition. Two guys are just going to be kind of pawing around and slapping each other. But if it, if yeah, it actually – guys got so much draw power. It, it's still yeah. – you know, you're talking Mike Tyson, Rory Jones. I mean, people are going to watch no matter what. Yeah, I hear you, man. I, I think it's it's it actually. I talked about this at the beginning of my show, but it knocked Canelo off of his date because they're fighting on the Canelo date. So if you're Canelo Alvarez now, and you you finally put together that fight with Callum Smith or whoever it is, what date do you do it? Because I really doubt they want to go up against Tyson. That just that'd be tough. That'd be a tough no. sell. That's, I, unfortunately, I'm going to tell you right now, Canelo will not win in that part of it as far as. Who gets more views? Um, you know how much mainstream crossover people will watch Roy Jones and Mike Tyson. Um, I don't know what he does on that. I mean, you know, I wouldn't move the date. I, w- I wouldn't try to move it too far up because that really screws everything up. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't know what he'll do on that. If, I, if I'm them, a, a huge draw. if I'm them, I'm going What's September that? 19 because I'm just looking. Okay, September 26 is the Charlo doubleheader. So if Canelo goes to September 19, I actually think they could get some ratings. But, yeah, man, if they go up against Tyson, they're going to lose. <laughs> That's not going to work. Yeah, Tyson and Roy Jones. Um, Canelo, I think, I don't think, you know, if he can move his date, I think it'll still be fine because Canelo's a big draw still in the sport. He's one of the bigger right. draws now. Um so, you know, it just comes down to, like, how far they're going to move it, though, because the more time you go to – it's not as good for Canelo. I mean, he's still fairly young, but he's, he's getting to that point of his career where he wants to get the fights in right now. Um, you know, I think, what is he, 28 or 29? I think he just turned 30. So, I think he just turned 30, I think, which okay. is crazy because so he's been fighting saying. forever already. You know, it feels that way. Yeah. So I, I think that he would, if he moves it, you know, which they're probably going to, I wouldn't move it too far. But maybe you're right, September, you know, 19th, that's a great day. And no other fights are going to affect Canelo. You know, Charlo's fights won't, won't affect Canelo's um, being a week later or whatnot. So, Agreed. yeah, that'd, that'd be pretty cool to see that. Well, Kelly, this has been awesome, man. I appreciate you being on the show so much. Um, let, can you let everybody know where they can, you know, follow the show on Twitter, 
where they can watch the show. I think I know you guys go on Facebook all the time, but if you could just tell everyone where they could catch the punchline. Yeah, we're on a couple of different outlets, but the punchline on on Facebook, the punchline with Kelly Pavlik and James Dominguez, and then we're also on YouTube um, with Kelly Pavlik, the punchline with Kelly Pavlik and James Dominguez. And one of the best ways is just to go into the search box and put in punchline dot live, and that pulls up all of our past shows and cool. things like that. Also, but we have the fight page on Facebook, which you know people like getting on there and, and shooting the shit with uh, boxing, and that's you know that with the Kelly Pavlik and, and James Dominguez, the punchline. Awesome, thank you so much, Kelly. We appreciate it, man. Hey, man, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on and BSing uh, with me a little bit. Fun. Yeah, man, this is a good time. We'll do it again. All right, brother. Absolutely. Have All right. A good day, man. You too. All right. There he goes, the champ, Kelly Pavlik. Awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed that, man. It's always fun talking to Kelly because uh, he's just super cool, super down to earth, and he just tells it to you straight the way he sees it, man. He doesn't uh, have a filter, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a good way. He just tells it the way he sees it. I think that's awesome, man. Uh, super chat pledge from Mark on Rivaled Boxing Talk. Thank you so much, Mark. He says, Beck, bully, returns on the Linares Fortuna undercard versus Kampa. Who's fought versus Derevyanchenko and Jesse Hart? Thoughts? Mark, I saw that. Uh, I didn't know if that was confirmed or not, but I saw rumblings of that. So that's cool if that's confirmed now. Number one, that's a nice little card. That's a nice little card there with uh, Linares Fortuna because I like that fight. But for Beck, that's obviously his biggest test so far. Am I, am I right? I, I like that fight a lot. I think it's going to show us a lot. One thing I know about Beck and all those Uzbeki guys, they've stayed in shape during, uh, during this quarantine. Those guys from that part of the world, because, again, they approach boxing like their job. It's a Monday through Friday, 8 to 5 kind of thing. So they're punching in, punching out. It's like going to the office. Those dudes are in shape. And I think that uh, we'll find out about Kampa. I want to see if it's on if it's on the schedule yet, though. Um, I want to see. I doubt it. I doubt it's on the schedule yet. Let me check that out here. Ah. Ah, I'll look at this later. But I wonder if it's on the schedule. Either way, we'll talk more about that as it gets closer. But, dude, I like that card a lot. But thanks again, Mark, for the super chat. I uh, saw so who was on here before. I want to say Trent, you tried to do a super chat and it didn't go through. I don't know what's going on with that, Trent, because um, we've had a couple super chats here on the show today and uh, there was no issue. So um, just try again, brother. Try again, Trent. Okay, uh, a couple more news items, guys, and then we got a lot to review and preview. I'm going to have to fly through this. Uh, WBO has mandated a fight for the vacant featherweight title between Emmanuel Navarrete and Jesse Magdaleno. I like that matchup. Eladir Alvarez and Joe Smith rescheduled for August 22nd. Jose Ramirez versus Victor Postol, August 29th. Both of those will be on ESPN. Round two of the top-ranked bubble series. Now, I've been telling you guys, wave two of the bubble series, the summer series, whatever the hell you want to call it, for top rank is going to be better, much better than the first one. Those two fights I just mentioned, Eladir Alvarez, Joe Smith, Jose Ramirez, Victor Postal. Both of those matchups are better than the entire first wave, okay? So, guys, when I say that the schedule, late August, right through the end of the year, when I say that the schedule is going to be fucking loaded, 
I mean, it's going to be fucking loaded. We're going to get some great matchups toward the end of the year. Unfortunately, it's going to cost you guys some cash because several of these fights are going to pay-per-view. But it's, these are going to be good fights, even regular ESPN, regular Showtime. And Fox is going to release their schedule pretty soon. That will have some pay-per-views. But there will be some good fights on regular Fox. And, of course, the zone is heating up, too. So some good stuff to look forward to, seriously. We had stir-fried shit for you know, half the year, but it's going to end very, very well on every platform, which is awesome. Because usually it's one platform. Like last year it was the zone kicking ass, right? And before that, I think it was Showtime that had a really good run. But now you, all, all three, four platforms are going to be loaded. It's going to be fun. Okay, last week, uh, the last fight of the first wave of Top Rank's Bubble Series. Last Tuesday, July 21st, Oscar Valdez scores a TKO 10 win over Jason Velez. Uh, For Valdez, it was only a second fight at 130. Velez has been there since 2016. I've talked about that a little bit. Velez has been in with bigger guys, bigger punches, but Valdez is like a little pit bull, and he just keeps on coming, man. And he eventually uh, dropped him in the fifth, twice in the tenth, stopped Valdez at the very end of the fight. It was a 10-round fight. And so, solid fight, good, entertaining scrap. Uh, Velez was uh, penalized one point in the ninth. Really, that, it was a non-factor, though, because Valdez v- won virtually every round. But it, it's so interesting to me that Valdez could dominate a fight, win every round, drop a guy three times, and stop him for the first time in his career, and still get really heavily criticized for that fight. To me... You know, there were people on the ESPN broadcast, Tim Bradley and those guys were going in on him and saying, oh, you should do this, you should do that. People on Twitter were, were going in on him. All the podcasts this week are going in on Oscar Valdez. I'm watching a fight, and I'm like, guys, this is just the level that he fights at. He's not at that super-duper elite level. And I'm not saying that to disrespect him. There's nothing wrong with that. He's going to win a belt at 130. Because at some point, he'll, he'll get a piece of a WBO title at 130, maybe even 135 pounds because of his association with top rank. Remember, the WBO stands for War Bob's Organization. If you fight for top rank, you're going to win a WBO belt or at least fight for one at some point. So I think Valdez is going to win titles again at some point in his career. He's just not going to be able to get with the Reynosos and three fights in now with the Reynosos totally change his style, and look great doing it. He's not on that level. He's not a Bud Crawford. He's not a Vasily Lomachenko. He's not a Manny Pacquiao. He's not that level of fighter, okay? So I don't know why the guy deserves all this criticism. It was a damn good performance. I think he needs to go back a little bit to what got him there, which is being a little more aggressive. But also, you know, in this fight, uh, he showed his flaws, but he's always had those flaws. He's always going to have them. Appreciate Oscar Valdez for who he is and what he is as a fighter and understand what he is not and who he is not as a fighter. And then you'll be good and you'll be entertained by his fights. I mean, the guy's never been in a shitty fight that I could think of. So anytime he fights now, supposedly he's going to fight Miguel Burchelt maybe by the end of the year. I love that fight. There's a lot of people out there saying Burchelt is going to steamroll Valdez. Guess what? You're wrong. You're wrong. That is a very competitive fight. Styles make fights. Burchelt is a good fighter, 
but I don't put him at that elite level either. He's bigger than Valdez. He's fought the better opposition overall, but he's not, he's, he's not a special fighter. He's not a Lomachenko. He's not, he's not one of these prospects I talked about earlier with Kelly Pavlik, you know, one of these guys like Haney and, and Teofimo moving up. Uh, you know, those guys are going to be special fighters one day. I, I think that Valdez and Brichel is going to be a competitive fight. <clears throat> if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. It won't be the first time. But I don't think that, uh, yeah, prime fighting championships on the chat says Burchelt has been knocked out too. Yeah, I think people are overrating Burchelt and underestimating Valdez a little bit. Top rank knows what they're doing, ladies and gentlemen. And yes, should Burchelt be favored? Yes, he should. Again, bigger guy, more experienced, blah, 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 blah. But I think that's a competitive fight. I'm telling you right now, that's a 60-40 kind of matchup. It ain't no 80-20 or 90-10 like some of you on Twitter are making it out to be, all right? Oh, Trent got through with the super chat. Thank you so much, Trent. I appreciate that. Uh, He says, Derevyanchenko should have targeted Andre. Bet PBC paid him big money, though, for Charlo. Yeah, I agree. I I think – but you know what, dude? Honestly, Trent – I think Drevyanchenko and their people see vulnerability in Charlo. Remember, Charlo didn't look very good against Matvey Korobov. And as you, Matvey Korobov is a good quality, experienced prize fighter, but he had been very inactive. I want to say he only had like two fights in three years or something before that fight with, with uh, Jermall Charlo. I get my A and E mixed up here. Jermall Charlo. And he is susceptible to guys that pressure him and get in his face and can time him. Charlo is going to be faster than Derevyanchenko, more explosive, more athletic. His feet move better. But uh, Sergey has that tenacity. He's battle-tested, and he's got skills. On skills, you know, in a skill set comparison, not they're different skills, but you could make an argument Derevyanchenko has overall a more advanced skill set at the proven uh, you know, professional prize fighting level. So I think that Sergey's people see something in Charlo that is worth it for them to go this route. They're going to get more money against Charlo. It's a bigger scalp. If you beat Charlo, that looks better than beating Andre. And you got to also remember Andre fights over on the zone. There's that too. Okay. <laughs> Delita Haral says Charlo sucks. That's it. That's your opinion. <laughs> it's, but you know, Hey, you're entitled to that opinion. All right, let's uh, get back to this uh, review here. Isaac Dogbay, TKO eight win over Chris Avalos. This was an eight-round featherweight fight. Some people did not like that this was only eight rounds. They wanted 10 rounds, 12 rounds. I like that this fight was eight rounds. I wish we had more eight-round fights like this for experienced guys. Yes, Dogbay once held titles. Chris Avalos has been, a, I believe, a title challenger in the past. So you think of, of those guys, and like at that point, you know, from that point on, you think, oh, they got to fight 10, 12 rounders the rest of their career, depending on the situation. I don't think so, man. If, if a guy like Isaac Dogbay, who had, you know, a rough couple fights, right? A couple rough losses, if he wants to come back and fight in a six rounder or eight rounder, I'm good with that. I wish more veteran fighters would do that. And for Isaac Dogbay to fight Chris Avalos, who is a good, experienced guy, I like this matchup. And I like that it was only eight rounds. I, I really do wish we had more of that in boxing. 
Okay, so let's talk about some of the things about boxing that pissed me off here. Super middleweight prospect Edgar, the chosen one, Berlanga, improved to 14 and 0, uh, 23 year old New Yorker. All 14 of his wins have come with first round knockouts. And ESPN is slobbing their knob all over this guy, right? They're just slobbing it. They're cradling the balls. They're just working that shit because 14 wins all in the first round, all by knockout. It looks awesome. It's so great to market that to the casual fan. I understand. However, is there really that much of a difference between this guy's level of opposition and Senecia Estrada and who she fought Friday night on the zone and knocked out in six seconds? Now, I'm not trying to disrespect Berlanga's opposition, okay? Obviously, levels above who Estrada fought. But in the male boxing world, I think it's legit when when you you know what I just said when you look at these fourteen opponents and you look at the records, guys. I don't give a shit that Berlanga knocked out fourteen guys in the first round. It looks cool on a tagline. It's easy to to tweet something like that. It looks good on social. It looks good on Instagram. It makes for a great soundbite. Is it developing the prospect? Do we know anything about this kid in regards to his boxing ability, uh, making adjustments? You know, getting in there with a guy who could bang, a guy who could move, a guy who can switch his stance, a guy who goes to the body, a taller guy, a shorter guy. We don't know. We have no freaking idea. We have no idea, right? So that's the kind of thing I'm talking about here. To me, this is part of the issue with boxing. You see this every few years. A guy comes out and his first 10, 15 fights are all first-round knockouts or whatever – that gets people really, really excited. I'll tell you who I was more impressed by on this card. Junior welterweight prospect Elvis Rodriguez, who scored a second-round KO win to improve to 8-0. and He also has one draw, uh, 24 years old, Dominican Republic native. I was more impressed with his win because he set up his knockout. He didn't just go out there and bludgeon a dude who had no business being in the ring with him. Now, he was fighting an overmatched opponent. Of course, he was. But... The way he set up the knockout, the way he set up the punches, the way he stepped into that right hand and shot it straight, the way he blinded his opponent with the jab first and put the right hand right behind it, that was pretty. It showed he was thinking. And I've seen two, he's fought in the bubble twice, right? And both of those knockouts, he set them up. He did it with craft. One was a step jab. One was a hard straight right hand. So we're seeing things from him. Number one, I think his power is more devastating than Berlanga's. But the level of opposition is the same. But what he's doing to set up the knockouts, I think, is more impressive. Now, we still don't know much about him. Can he catch? What happens when he's in there with a guy who can answer back? We don't know those things yet. But all things considered, you know, this is why my phone don't ring sometimes because there's other guys out there who would do the fluff, the fluff stories, the puff pieces, and they'll talk about Berlanga, the future of boxing, 14 first-round knockouts. Oh, my God. My dick's so hard. You know? I'm not going to be that guy. I'm just going to give you my opinion. It's nothing against Berlanga. He might be a future world champion. The power does look legit. He's got that thudding power. He punches through the target. Looks good. But I want to see the kid get some rounds. I don't give a shit if his next fight, if it's an eight-rounder and it goes all eight rounds. That's better if I'm his management team and I'm developing that prospect. That's what I want to see more than the first-round knockout. 
You've got your 14 first-round knockouts. You've got your highlight reel package. Now let's develop the prospect. Get him in there with somebody that can take the shots, stop marketing this kid as a first-round knockout machine, and develop the prospect, or that shit's going to bite you in the ass in the long run. All right, I hinted toward this card. Uh, Friday, July 24th on the zone, Fantasy Springs Casino, uh, California. And Virgil Ortiz approves to 16-0, 16 knockouts, the KO7 over Sammy Vargas, who has fought everybody and hung tough in there and actually gave Ortiz some good rounds. And this fight was scheduled originally for March 28th in L.A. So I like that they kept with the original plan. This is what you were going to get March 28th. Instead, you got it on July 24th. That wasn't their fault. That's because of a global pandemic. I like that instead of just scrapping that fight and finding some pizza, you know, pizza boy off the street, they stay with the original opponent. And Ortiz, now here's again, you compare Virgil Ortiz, 16-0, 16 knockouts. You compare that to Edgar Berlanga's 14-0, 14 knockouts. Which one's more impressive, right? And again, I'm not trying to beat up on Edgar Berlanga. Uh, look, he posted a video of him punching his girlfriend's ass who was hanging upside down. I, I don't know. She was hanging from a rope or something upside down, and she was wearing a bikini, and he was working her ass like it was a bag. Pretty awesome video. I highly recommend it. The dude seems like he's funny, and he's got potential. But Virgil Ortiz, his 16 wins, they weren't first-round knockouts, but they were stoppages over much better opposition where he showed levels. Now, Virgil Ortiz hasn't fought a true full, you know, welterweight, a true full-grown welterweight. He's fought smaller guys. He's fought older guys. So we haven't seen what he could do against the elite at 147 yet. We'll find out. But you've seen enough to know that he has tons of potential. You know what I'm saying? Okay, uh, Shane Mosley Jr. with a unanimous decision win and an eight-rounder. And then I talked about Sinicia Estrada with a record KO in the first seven seconds against Miranda Adkins. I feel so bad for this woman. Miranda Adkins came in 5-0. and Her opponents told her five opponents. Here, Listen, what I'm about to tell you is not a mistake. Her five opponents coming into that fight, their combined record was zero wins, two losses. Now, some of you are like, Mike, how the hell can five opponents have only two losses? That's because four of her five opponents were making their professional debut. Okay? So that is her experience. Yes, 5-0. and oh, It looks shiny and bright and crispy, and it looks great. But when you start to peel back the onion... And you see what's inside that 5-0. and oh, You see that it's dog shit. So her first four opponents were making their pro debut. And then she rematched a girl that she had already beat and beat her again. So that's how uh, her record was 5-0 and oh coming in. And her opponent's combined record was 0-2. Oh so she gets destroyed, flattened in seven seconds. I'm not mad at Sinicia Estrada. She's doing her job. She's a fighter. She, get, she got in there and just blasted this girl out of there. And, in fact, I prefer that than to seeing Miranda Adkins get her ass whipped over five or six rounds and then getting knocked out. It's better for her health long-term to get pieced up and knocked out in seven seconds. She'll recover from that much quicker than she would have recovered from a prolonged beating. I'm mad at I, – you know, I love Andy Foster. I think he's the best commissioner in all of the commissions in the United States. I really do. I've talked to Andy a bunch of times. He's a great dude. He should, should not have sanctioned this one. And 
one of our guys at Ring TV, one of the writers for our website, interviewed him <clears throat> and asked him about it. And po we posted a story on the site about this. You guys could see it. And he said straight up, yeah, in retrospect, my bad. Shouldn't have sanctioned that one. So the thing with female boxing, and I'm not going to get on the big soapbox here. I don't want to. I don't want to get the PCs hissing at me out there. But the depth of talent isn't there. And you know, when you don't have, I think some of the divisions that Clarissa Shields fights in, she calls herself the Goat, and she's got all these titles. Some of the divisions she fights in literally have like a few dozen sanctioned, licensed fighters on earth competing in that division. Seriously, not even 100 professional fighters in some of these divisions. So female boxing, just part of the reason why you're not getting paid the same amount, you're not getting the same amount of attention, the depth of talent isn't there. It is improving. It's getting better. The demographics are changing. The talent pool is getting better. But I think the best thing for female boxing, number one, should be three-minute rounds. Stop with the two-minute round bullshit. Uh, same gloves that the guys use, all of that. And get rid of the junior and super divisions. They they make the uh, – they screw up male boxing, the junior and super divisions, because they, they oversaturate – or I'm sorry, they don't oversaturate the talent pool. They drain the talent pool. And in female boxing, they do it even more. If you got rid of all the super and junior divisions in female boxing and you just had eight classic divisions for the girls to fight in, I think it'd help. I think it'd help a lot because some of these divisions would go from having 30 pro fighters to like 80 or 90. And that would help in situations like this where Golden Boy and the California State Athletic Commission, they had other opponents in mind. They fell through. They had trouble getting an opponent for Estrada. They wanted to keep her busy. So they brought this girl from Kansas to get her ass whooped. And now, again, I mentioned that I feel bad for her because, guys, Google the name Miranda Atkins. Do, do this experiment. Go to Google, go to Bing, whatever, and type that name in and see what comes up. For the rest of her life, almost, every time you type in her name, you're going to see her getting knocked the fuck out. It's, there's video of this, pictures of it, all over the Internet. And it's not going away anytime soon. So unless she changes her name legally or something like that, for the rest of her life, she's going to have kids. I don't, maybe she already has kids. They're going to type in their mom's name, and they're going to see their mom getting destroyed in seven seconds. Like, that's tough, man. I feel bad for her. All right, Saturday, July 25th in London, a Frank Warren card on BT Sport picked up here in the U.S. on ESPN+. Joe Joyce improves to 11-0 with a TKO3 win over Michael Valish, the German, who has been KO'd in four of his last fights. So, again, everyone was beating the shit out of Sinesia Estrada's opponent, I understand. I understand. I get it. But were you guys, you know, Joe Joyce's opponent, was he that much better? Was Edgar Berlanga's opponent that much better? I'm saying. Yeah, a little bit, but, but were they that much better? I don't know about that. All right? Uh, Sunday, July 26th at Corona, California, Thompson Boxing Card. I like this, man. They did a $7 pay-per-view. How cool is that? $7 pay-per-view kept some of their guys busy. And Ruben Torres, 140-pound prospect, and Michael Dutchover, 135-pound prospect, rebounding from his T first professional loss, TKO 8 loss last September, uh, both based out of California, got Ws on a Sunday night boxing card for 7 bucks. Pretty damn cool. All right, we got some super chat pledges over here on the chat. Let me uh, find these. 
Super chat pledge from my man, Carlos. Thank you so much, dog. Hope you're doing well. Hope you and the lady are doing good tonight. He says, thank you, Michael. Always enjoy your show. And guest, congratulations on your upcoming wedding. Thank you so much, sir. Salute to you. Yes, next, uh, next month, August 27th, me and my lady will officially be tying the knot. That will be our seven-year anniversary, seven years from the day I met her. I actually met her at, uh, you guys know I have a fetish for rooftop hotels, or I'm sorry, rooftop bars. On, a lot of times they're on top of hotels. And there was one in downtown LA, roof of a hotel down there, a uh, bar called The Perch. And uh, that's where I met Tiffany almost seven years ago. And so uh, August 27th will be uh, seven years to the day that I met her and we're getting married, uh, having some family come down. We're not doing anything big, just going to the court, signing some papers. A couple family members are going to come down, and we're going to just hang out for the weekend. And one day, a few years from now, when we actually have some money, we're going to do an official celebration, a real wedding and all that. But for now, we're just going to make it official, and she could take that Montero name. Crazy, 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 crazy. I'm finally going to be an honest man. Well, half honest. (laughs) Uh, Super chat. From Trent. Thank you so much, Trent. He says, Nikita Abibi looking shaky in a rough win against the guy with a bad record, Calzada. Will he be a threat at 154-160? He beat Troy Isley, who beat Israel Madrimov. That is very true. However, I haven't seen anything yet from Abibi that got me super excited. Okay, I think that there's potential there. I don't want to be overly hard on the prospect. I mean, I'm going to get accused of being a Edgar Berlanga hater uh, after my little rant there about his record. But with Nikita Abibi, and I, look, you could play that game with the amateurs. This guy beat this guy who beat that guy. I get it. it just I, I don't like to play those games because in the amateurs, there's so many different factors. Age plays a big deal. Some of these guys are grown-ass men. By the time they're 18, and some of these dudes are late bloomers, they're 17, they're still, they still got Bambi legs, what I call Bambi legs, you know? So it, it's hard to say sometimes with amateur wins. And the, uh, they call it what, triangle theories. I, I don't play those games. I just haven't seen anything yet that makes me think that he is uh, a, a, a future world champion at 54 or 60. I'd like to be proven wrong, you know? Um, it's fun to be proven wrong with stuff like that. It really is. And it you know, wouldn't be the first time I've been proven wrong. But I just don't see it. I just don't see it. But we don't know, man. Maybe he's going to step up. And it's like with Jason Rosario, who I talked about earlier in the show. You know, he didn't look that great. He looked good. He looked solid. But he didn't look great. And then against J-Rock, all of a sudden, he grew up in front of our eyes and looked amazing. And that was his first real camp for that fight. I want to say he did like a 12-week camp or something for the J-Rock fight. And suddenly it looks like a different fighter. And you're like, holy shit, this dude's legit. Now, maybe with Nikita Abibi, we'll be having that same uh, conversation in a couple of years. But at this point, there's, a, there's several other prospects I'm, I'm much more excited about. All right, thank you so, so much for the super chats, guys. Okay, quick preview. And then, man, we've been going here for almost an hour and a half. Good show today. Hopefully you guys aren't sick of me yapping. Actually, we got a phone call here. Let me jump over. I think this is Mark. I believe this is Mark. Let's see. 353, you're on the show. Go. Hi. Hi. What's up? 
Not much, not much. Um, I wanted to ask you your thoughts on Jaime Arboleda versus Chris Colbert. Not a lot of people are talking about it. Uh, Lil B-Hop versus Arboleda. Arboleda just got off of a tentative victory over, uh, what was it, uh, Jason Velez, who lost to Valdez recently. I think mm. that's a big step up. Chris Colbert? You talking about yeah. Chris Colbert? You find Jaime Arboleda, who's beat. Yeah, yeah you're call, you call him Chris Col- Colbert, so I don't know. Is that how you say it? I've always heard oh, of Chris Colbert. That's how, I, that's how I say it. It's a French name. Well, well, yeah, it does look French, but he's from Brooklyn. So I, when you said Colbert, I'm like, huh? What are you talking Okay. So, but you're, you're a much more distinguished and refined gentleman than myself, Mark. So uh, perhaps you just – No, I'm, I'm a degenerate. I'm a degenerate. <laughs> you, you say you have a fetish for rooftops, so I've got a fetish for G-string and oil. Hey, there's nothing wrong with the G-string and oil. Shit, that, that's a whole different fetish, though. We might have to do a different show to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I, I, I like Chris Colbert, or Colbert, if you will. I, I like him. Uh, that win over uh, Jezreel Corrales, and then it was a good win over Michael Beltran, too. So, um, But yep. Arboleda, he had that one loss to uh, Ricky DeLay, and that was a big knockout do you remember that i do actually yeah. that was at the yeah, forum day, um, i think that was yeah sullivan barrera oh. joe smith undercard at the Ooh, forum could you yeah look could at me you? man yeah so i what happens if chris puts a hard right hand on him i don't know I don't know. I've never seen Chris hit anybody with a hard right hand. Yeah, Chris doesn't hit that hard. You know, you're right. He has, what, five knockouts and 14 fights here. I'm ch- I'm looking. He does go the distance a lot. Um, but, if you know, look, my, my pick in this is Chris Colbert decision. And this is for an interim. Wow, look at this. It's for a WBA title. Go figure. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty interim, isn't it? Yeah, interim. Man, the WBA, I could not keep up with their damn titles. You know, Jason Velez, I I think you mentioned this. Jason Velez almost had Arboleda out of there. He had him down in the 12th round of their fight. A lot of people felt Velez won that fight, and Velez does not hit hard for 130. So I think Colbert has a chance to stop him. I really do. Mm. Do you know who else actually has a – who else has a world t- an interim world title fight? Who? Trevor Bryan? Uh, Rolando Romero. Rolando Romero. He's fighting for the interim WBA lightweight title. Raleigh Romero, the world sparring champion. <laughs> Man, I cannot keep up with the WBA. That's not on BoxRec, by the way. He's fighting against Jackson Mar- Marinez. Yeah, it's uh, not on there. On the David Benavidez uh, Angulo undercard. That's for WBA lightweight interim title. And that's according to, um, let's see here, that's according to PBC's official website. Huh. That's cool. Because Romero, is he one of Mayweather's guys? He fights out of that Mayweather's gym, right? I think he, he's the guy who's knocked out everybody in sparring. Right, yeah, yeah. He is. He's the all-time great sparring not- guy who, if you listen to YouTube and you listen to Twitter, this dude, he's up there with Willie Pep and, you know, Robinson and all those guys. Well, we'll find out. He out Willie Pep. Yeah, he would knock out Willie Pep with one punch. No. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. Uh, 
you know this whole schedule, right? Like, I actually love it, to be honest with you. I really do. Like, boxing's been in a down spiral. And I've been going through it and thinking of all the fights. Like, Benavidez, Angulo, it's okay. You know, Roly Romero versus Marina is good. Uh, Otto Valin's back in action. He's fighting against Kaufman. Yeah, I like um, that fight. That's going like to be that. fun. Yeah, Kaufman will come to fight with Valin. Yeah. Valin has a habit of cutting opponents. People are like, oh, the Tyson Fury cut. He actually cut three of his last four opponents before that Fury fight. That's not a coincidence. Really? It's the way he's punching then. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, or the way he's headbutting as well. That too. Let's not leave that Oh, out. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Good point. Yeah, so it's all it's all interesting. Like, um, <clears throat> what's your favorite fight coming up over the next, let's say, two two and a half months? If you have to pick one fight, which fight is the one you're looking forward to the most as a fan? So, like August, September. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I like Ella Dear Alvarez, Joe Smith. I think that's going to be fun on ESPN. I think. Uh, Ramirez Postal will be pretty good. Um, let's see what else. You know, L- Erickson Lubin and Terrell Goucher, that's going to be a good fight. You think so? I, I don't. I think I think Lubin will beat uh, uh, Goucher pretty uh, pretty easily. I think that's a good crossroads matchup. Um, it should on paper. That's a close fight. I mean, if if we're going, but I mean, if obviously, if we're going all the way through the end of September, uh, the Charlo card, you know, I mean, that's the best card, obviously. And between the two Charlo fights, I think Charlo Derevianchenko is the most interesting one. And again, the, the X factor for me is just the wear and tear on Derevianchenko. You know, can he be the same guy yeah. that he's he's been recently? If so, that's a damn good fight, man. Well, we've also got White Pavekin. Oh, that's right. I like that fight, too. People seem to be just suddenly forgetting about it. And that fight got a lot more interesting with White leaving uh, leaving Tibbs. He he left Tibbs. He's now with Xavier Miller, who he kind of like learned how to do his trade by going over to the Kronk gym and being a big lover of James Tony, You know, that Philly Shell style, that sidearm okay. style kind yeah. of thing. I think that if he if, and if you were he was in the corner for the Marius Vac fight and that's how he fought against Vac even though he was out of shape. And I'm just thinking to myself, I think that's the worst possible style in the world to use against the Bob and Weave yep. inside left hook artist. You could move right into a left that's hook. My... You could move right into it. Exactly. If he's not careful. Yeah. yeah. So So but... it makes things a lot more interesting. So Dude, the schedule I'm telling you, toward the end of the next month is going to be slow, but toward the end of August and then into September and through the rest of the year, we're good. We've got good fights and it's on multiple platforms. So, I mean, people are forgetting Fox hasn't even released their schedule yet. Yes. And even though we're saying, oh, uh, it's going to be slow, I'm being honest with you. Next weekend is nice. Like, Saturday is nice. I've got Rome Vasoy versus Rome Wrong. Yeah. Right? For a hardcore like me, that, that, that's fantastic. I know Rome Vasoy is going to knock him out because I'm not on the downhill, you know? But uh, I like it. It is what it is. I've got Cheeseman versus Eggington. I've got Breakfast. And <laughs> I've got Fulton versus Leo. It's, it's fantastic. 
I had to. T- I I uh I googled a egg and cheese sandwich photo and tweeted that shit as the fight poster for that fight. I just you can't write this shit. Eggington and cheese man. I mean, I I just wish the winner was fighting somebody named Hamilton because then you'd have ham, egg and cheese like that would be fucking perfect. What but, about the what about the Filipino cut, Jason? Uh, Jason Bacon. Is that this weekend? Filipino cut. No, but he he's a fighter. He's not the fighter, Jason Bacon. He's a welterweight. Oh, Bacon! So oh, oh. Theoretically movable to him. <laughs> that would be, I'm telling you, man. That you couldn't write that shit. That would be perfect. Oh my god, that'd be great. Oh well, man, I like it. I like the the uh, Angelo Leo fight versus uh, Fulton. The That's a good fight. Guys come to troll punch. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I might as well get into this pre- this preview real quick. As you mentioned, man, in Thailand Saturday, we sexil Wang Gek or Visai going up against Amnat Rowenrowang. What I'm not sure of is this is I don't think this is a WBC super flyweight title fight. I think this will be a non title fight. You see that a lot with the Thai champions. They have interim fights that So I'm not sure. It's a non title fight. Yeah, that that makes sense. Um Wangek hasn't fought since last April, Rowen Roang since last March. He lost, Rowen Roang lost two of three between 2016 and 2018, but he had two comeback fights in 2019 that he won. The Matchroom Fight Camp card out of Brentwood, that's on Sky in the UK and DAZN here in the USA. Sam Eggington versus Ted Cheeseman, a junior middleweight egg and cheese sandwich. And then uh, Mohegan Sun Casino, Connecticut on Showtime. It's the return of Showtime Boxing. It's the return of PBC. Stephen Fulton, 18-0 out of Philly, going up against Angelo Leo, 19-0 out of Vegas for the vacant WBO Super Bantamweight title. And Joseph George, 10-0 out of Houston, going up against Marcos Uscadero, 10-1 Argentinian fighter. This is a rematch. They fought last November to a split decision. 10 rounds, light heavyweights. Decent fights, man. Decent fights. Decent fights. I can predict every fight on all those cards. <laughs> all right. Give it to me. Go. Um, run them uh, off quick. Fulton wins the... You know, go ahead. What? I was going to say, run them off quick. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Run the side within the first five rounds. I'd say round four against him. Uh, run around. Stops him. Uh, probably off of the right hand. And... Um, Cheeseman, uh, Cheeseman cracks the egg in rounds uh, five through seven. Okay. And uh, Fulton wins the unanimous decision against Leo in a nice fight that uh, goes about eight rounds before. Yeah. I'm good with all those. I'm good with all those picks. I can see that. All right, yeah, you know what? That's what's happening, mate. We have another call. Let's, let's get this other caller on the line, and we'll just three-way action. Let's see here. 818, you're on TNC. Go. Hey, what's up, man? Uh, hey, man, first of all, thanks for the show and keeping me. Uh, you know, yeah, man, thanks for you, thanks for watching, listening. Appreciate it. Yeah, man, for sure. Um, got a, a few things I kind of want to ask and talk about. But um, first of all, uh, you buying the, the Charlo pay-per-view? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I won't be able <clears throat> to travel to that one to cover it live because I don't think they'll be having media. If they do have media, then maybe I'll attend it live for Ring. But if not, then yeah, I'll probably buy it and probably do a uh, fight party on my channel. All right, yeah, I mean, not, not pay per view worthy, bro, but you know, it's good uh, competition, so you have to jump on that. Yeah. So, 
But uh, yeah, that was one one of my questions. I was just curious how many people are buying it. Uh, secondly, um, I think you touched it about this earlier, though, um, with Valdez and uh, Virgil. Um, yeah, man, I, I I think they're just you know um, pretty much kind of uh, putting uh, Valdez under the bus, kind of you know saying that he's just going to get wiped out from what I've seen a couple with tweets here and there, man. But you know, I, I think it's going to be a good battle, and um, man, I wish that was uh, you know a, uh, a a fight we can go to live because it, it it could turn out to be a special one you know uh but uh you know what what you 50 50 I, I i don't know if you've already answered it but what do you think i'm 60 40 on it i mean i favor burchell but i'm just pulling up his his recent resume okay um you know he fought edgar or i'm sorry eliazar venezuela in in june that wasn't even sanctioned by the mexican commission Jason Sosa last year, that's a decent fight. Uh, an old Francisco Vargas last year, decent fight. Miguel Roman, decent fight. So he's got some names, but then 2017 for me is when he really jumped on the scene. He fought a prime Francisco Vargas and then uh, Takashi Miura. Those were two really good wins. But I'm just looking at the resume and I'm like, man, I don't think he steamrolls Oscar Valdez like everyone's saying. Mark, if you're still on the line, how do you see that fight? I don't know if, if we've talked about that one yet, but uh, am I crazy in thinking that this is going to be a competitive fight? Yes. Okay. All right. Maybe I'm crazy. That's, that's my opinion. So you th- think, you think Burchell's going to just steamroll I, Valdez? I don't see where Oscar Valdez's competitiveness comes from in this fight. What, because he, he fought good and had a tough fight with Scott Quigg? Let me remind you, he had a tough fight with Scott Quigg, who was way past it in a super bantamweight at featherweight. He's moved up, he's looked slower. He hasn't been as aggressive. He hasn't been moving as well, and he was getting tagged up in horse versus Adam Lopez, who couldn't even hurt Curry yet. So do you think he gets knocked out, or do you think he gets stopped on cuts or something like that? Because I could see, I I could see gets, Valdez cutting. I think he gets TKO'd referee stoppage. I think he gets referee stopped after being dropped once or twice. And do you see that in the second half of the fight, or do you see it right away? Mid-rounds. Mid-rounds, so really? Damn. Yeah. And I don't rate Bertel like other people. I just don't think Valdez is as good as other people think he is. I think yeah, Valdez has always been overrated. But, uh, oh, I'm sorry. You know what? We had our – oh, hang on. The caller that was on dropped. 818, you're back yeah. on. I'm sorry. I didn't get your name, man. 818, you're back on. No, it, it, oh, it's uh, Ace. It's Ace, buddy. Oh, Ace, okay. What's up, man? All right, can you hear me? Yeah. You got me? Yeah, we got you. Oh. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you're yeah, on, yeah, man. Yeah, Go yeah, ahead. I, I understand the Yeah, no, I understand the points with Valdez, you know, and um, I, I mean, I, I think with Rachel, too, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, I feel like the resumes themselves, yeah, uh, Richelt has had a couple better opponents, but overall, Valdez has had very solid opponents, in my opinion, you know, and uh, he's got the heart and chin, and we all we all know Richelt the way he fights, and he sometimes does throw some wild punches that can, you know, be uh, timed and caught with, but at the end of the day, I root for both of them. There's going to be no loser in that uh, fight. And I'm looking forward to that one, man. Hopefully it happens today or this year, I mean. I think it should happen by the end of the year. And my hope is, you know, put that on somewhere like the forum 
or StubHub Center or whatever the hell it's called now, uh, somewhere in L.A. where that will do a great crowd and it would be just energetic. You know, like right at the end of the year around December, it'd be awesome. If we, But who knows if we could still have crowds by then. We might not be allowed to have fans in attendance. So um, I, either way, if that fight gets made this year, I'm definitely watching. And uh, that w- that's going to be a hell of a fight. I still think it's going to be competitive. I do favor Burchelt. I favor Burchelt maybe by late stoppage, but I do think it's competitive. No, yeah, absolutely, man. Very competitive. I mean, like I said, I'm 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 with you as well, you know. But uh, you know, I can see Valdez getting knocked down a few times, getting up. Burchelt coming in for the kill with those wild punches, and bam, Valdez just times him, punches, bam, you know, down again, bro. But you know, anything's possible. Um, yeah. But anyways. Uh, the last thing I want to ask you, man, I don't know if it's getting personal, but like, I don't, I'm, I'm on Twitter, but not that much just for my, you know, news that I really want to, you know, look up or whatever. But uh, I saw something between you and this other guy. I mean, he's probably old, but um, like some guy that had, had beef with you or with each other. I think it's Marcos. Well, what's up with that, bro? His name is Marcos? I don't know, but yeah, some, I don't know, some the- Twitter guy. Uh, there's people on Twitter that hate me, bro. I, there's a, there's a few people out oh, no, there no, I, that just don't like me. I, I don't know. No, I know, uh, but this is one particular name that I see. Also, he like works for one of the promotions. I think I don't know who. I don't. Know, I bro, actually but... know who he is. I know who Marcos is. Marcos Villegas, uh, Bandizan, unofficial scorer for uh, PBC at the moment. Me no, and Marcos. No, no, it's, it's Mark Ortega. Mark, Mark Ortega. Oh, Marco. Oh, yeah. Look, oh. that guy's nobody. He doesn't. He, he worked for um, I'll just say this that dude has some sort of weird obsession he does not like me and he thinks all these things about me that are really really untrue and he knows they're untrue but he says them anyway I think he's just really really jealous Um, he knows things about me that he knows I'm a good dude I'll put it to you that way he's met me in person he's met my fiance um, but he's just not a good guy He's been fired from multiple jobs. He's um, tried to sell press credentials at one point. He sold bootleg DVDs of uh, guys in sparring that they didn't want out there. He's been fired not just from jobs in boxing, but other platforms outside of boxing because he made people uncomfortable. So he's just, he's kind of a, I don't want to beat up on the guy. I honestly feel a little bad uh, about him because um, I think, I don't know if there's mental illness or something going on, but there's something not quite right about the dude. So I don't want to sit here and beat up on him. But, yeah, he's got some weird obsession about me, dude. And there's just a few people like that out there. And I can't, you know, I can't spend my time being mad at that. My one thing is when these guys say that I'm – when they say things about me that are untrue, it pisses me off. But I'm not going to get in a uh, back and forth with them, correcting them or anything like that, because that's just what they want. I just ignore them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I was just curious, bro. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. You know, like, it is what it is. But, you know, um, yeah, I just saw that. I'm like, well, you know, I mean, I'm pre- I guess I'm pretty late to the party with that. <laughs> but uh, um, other than that, man, yeah, man, you know, looking forward to the fight. Uh, it's going to cost a pretty penny, you know, from what I've yeah. seen. But, Man, dude, like I'm, I just can't wait to see those, uh, you know, upper level uh, elite fighters coming up and getting in the ring. But uh, hey, man, I'll be hearing you. You know, I, I'm always hearing you. You know, I might not uh, show up here, you know, but shout out to you guys and what you're doing, and um, it's all good, brother. You make it happen. 
All right, man. I appreciate it, dog. Thanks for calling in, and thanks for uh, for watching the show, man. For sure, brother. All right. All right, guys. So that's it for today, man. Good show. Wow. Went uh, almost two hours. This is like a record. This is like a long show, but we had some great calls. So remember your feed. Like, share, subscribe, leave a rating, a review, all that good stuff. Spread the word about the show and uh, tell everybody about it. And, yeah, we will be back next Monday, same time, same channel, right here on Ring. All right? That's it, guys. I'll see you at the fights.